1: In this chapter, we see the church responding to the miraculous growth that it has been experiencing over the last several chapters. On multiple occasions, Luke has told us that the church has been growing and expanding rapidly. He said in Acts 2.41 that 3,000 souls were baptized in a single day. He told us in Acts 2.47 that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts 4.4, 4, he says, many of those who had heard the word believed And the number of the men came to about 5,000. In Acts 5, 14 and following, we are told that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So the church is growing. People in Jerusalem are hearing the gospel and getting saved and being baptized. And people in the countryside are coming in and they are hearing the gospel. They're seeing the signs and wonders, and they're being drawn into the reach and care of the Christian church. So much so that in Acts 5.28, the high priest accuses the apostles of filling Jerusalem with their teaching. That's a marvelous accusation. And this is a season of unparalleled growth and spiritual blessing. Now, here in Acts 6, we see the church responding to that blessing and that growth with reorganization and delegation. The church had 12 apostles when there were 120 people in a room. Now, there are upwards of ten or 15,000 people, men, women, and children, all across the city. So, the apostles are starting to feel a little stretched. Now, Notice that they don't appoint more apostles. Only Jesus can do that. Rather, they appear in this story to create an entirely new ministerial office, the office of deacon. That word is used in its verbal form in verse 2. The office itself will evolve and develop over the New Testament canon. But this story shows us how the need was identified and originally met by a growing and spirit-led church. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's just pause and notice a few things here. Let's notice, first of all, that believers are now regularly being referred to by Luke as disciples. The 12, minus Judas and plus Matthias, are now called apostles, indicating their special authority and commission. And the believers generally are referred to as disciples, a word that literally means learners. I think that's interesting. I think that's worth seeing. Christians are by definition learners. There there is a certain content to be learned as well as an example to be followed, right? There, there There is an essential belief And there's an essential behavior. Both are important. Sometimes you'll hear people talking nowadays as if behavior is the only thing that matters. They'll say, well, you know, I behave like Jesus. So whether I have the right beliefs or not doesn't really matter. I have the right behavior. Well, that would be just as silly as saying that you have the right beliefs, but not the right behavior. Obviously, these things are not the same, but just as obviously, they have to go together. I think we do damage to the Christian faith when we elevate either one of those things at the expense of the other. Secondly, Notice that benevolent ministry, ministry targeted at urgent human need, was part of the original culture of the church. And, of course, we're not surprised by that. Jesus was often seen in the Gospels responding to human needs by healing or feeding or helping in some way or another. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, then obviously we're going to get involved in those sorts of activities. And so we see here in the early church. Thirdly, we should notice that the problem in focus here was as much about culture and language as it was about growth. The Hellenists referred to are Greek-speaking Jews. They had a different language, they had a different culture than the Hebrews, the Aramaic-speaking Jews of Jerusalem and Judea. By and large, the Aramaic-speaking Jews of Jerusalem and Judea looked down on the Greek-speaking Jews of the Diaspora. They were seen as compromised and unhelpfully cosmopolitan. And this is just a reminder that whenever the gospel crosses cultural boundaries, there are going to be challenges. It seems here that somehow, some, in some way, the food distribution got caught up, got hung up on some kind of cultural barrier. Maybe the delivery people were Aramaic-speaking Jews, and they didn't want to go on the homes of Greek-speaking Jews. Or maybe the Greek-speaking Jews just couldn't communicate with the delivery people, and so the requests for food weren't getting through. We don't know. We just know that multicultural church is hard, but it's worth the effort. And here in this story, we see the church making that effort. Now, before we move on to the next session, let me, let me just maybe make one more observation. This whole breakthrough, this breakthrough in terms of a new leadership office, a new approach to ministry, this whole breakthrough came about as a result of a complaint. I think that's interesting. Not all complaints are bad, right? I mean, a lot of complaints are bad, but not all complaints are bad. And sometimes, maybe even all the time, it's worth really listening to to the complaints that arise out of our ministries, out of our churches. If, if they're just silly, then by all means, delete them. Put them in the trash can. But if there's something legitimate there, pray about it, receive it, think about it, and if necessary, make changes. That's what we see in this story. Thanks be to God. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This is so incredibly important for us to see. The church grows not by serving tables in the Acts of the Apostles. The church grows by preaching the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? That's the main thing. That's the effective thing. That's the powerful thing. Luke makes that point again and again and again. He's making it here in the story. As soon as they free up the apostles to get back to prayer and preaching the word, church starts to grow again. Look at verse 7, right? And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. says the same thing in Acts 12, 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Again, in Acts 19.20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. For Luke, growth is by definition growth in the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. That has to be the priority focus of the Christian church. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do compassionate, benevolent ministry. We should do that. This story is about the church doing that. But it's about the church figuring out a way to do that such that the priority remains on prayer and the ministry of the word that's so important for us to see. Caring for the poor is important. It's very important. But it can so easily become all-consuming and it must not be allowed to eclipse or deprioritize the ministry of prayer and preaching. It is through prayer and preaching that we offer something unique and distinctly Christian. It is through prayer and preaching that we address the root brokenness of the human condition. At the end of the day, the church is not a social agency. It is a gospel agency. And the church grows when it organizes around her God-given priorities. And that is what we see in the story. The apostles invent another leadership office, another layer in the church, so that they can keep their focus on the ministry of the word. Now, some scholars will get very precise here and say say that perhaps we're not witnessing exactly the invention of the diaconate here. That comes later, probably in reflection upon the effectiveness of this more ad hoc decision. Be that as it may, what we see is the leadership of the church innovating and delegating such that they are enabled to maintain their proper focus, and it works. Thanks be to God. Verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyreneans, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. We'll finish up the story of Stephen in the next chapter, but we should probably notice here in passing that while signs and wonders are most commonly associated with the ministry of the apostles in the book of Acts, they are not exclusively associated with the apostles. Stephen is not an apostle. And yet Luke tells us that Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great signs and wonders among the people. That's a useful reminder to us and a bit of a caution against over-regulating the work of the Spirit. Yes, yes, yes. There is something special about the apostles, but there is also something general and universal about the Holy Spirit, and both of those truths need to be kept in mind as we work our way through this important story. There are special and unrepeatable events in the book of Acts, but there's also a pattern and an example for us to follow. The trick, of course, is sorting out which is which. But, clearly, Stephen is not an apostle. We are told simply that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. May that be said of you and of me. Listen, Stephen was a regular person, and yet he did wonders and signs among the people. And when he spoke, it was with great wisdom and the Spirit. I see no reason not to pray that the same might one day be said of you and of me and of many others in our churches. Why not? God is sovereign. He can still adorn the gospel however he chooses, and we can still pray like they do in Acts 4.30 for the Lord to stretch out his hand to heal and to do wonders through the name of Jesus Christ. We can do that, and God can answer or not as it serves his will and purpose. I would like to see everything in this chapter represented in the church today. I would love to see the proper priority being placed on prayer and preaching. And I would love to see a generous, broad, multicultural, and well-organized approach to compassionate and benevolent ministries. And I would love to see power. Holy Spirit, Christ-honoring, gospel-adorning, spiritual power. Lord, make it so in our day. Thanks be to God.